You're listening to Titans of Techcom, brought to you by Hereto, where you'll hear real stories from real people who have tried, failed, learned, and succeeded. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Titans of Techcom. I'm your host, Vivek Nanda. I'm VP of Marketing at Hereto. And today we have Tara English Sweeney, our guest. Welcome, Tara. Thank you for having me today, Vivek. I'm excited to be here. And I'm glad you could make some time and share your insight with our listeners. So, Tara, first of all, always ask this question to everyone because this is such a different line of business. <laughs> Tell me about uh, uh, where you are right now and how did you end up in this field? Um, okay, so, well, after 10 years with um, ECI Worldwide, I recently left and I just joined uh, Domino Data Lab as a senior documentation engineer. And I am ridiculously excited to have joined this company that's truly making a difference in the world. Uh, in organizations, data scientists are often doing their own thing, uh, but would benefit if everyone was working together. So Domino actually helps companies unleash the power of data science um, to address the world's most important challenges. Um, we're an enterprise software uh, company that provides structure while allowing data scientists to use any tools that they need. This way they can focus on the business of using data science. Um, and we call this enterprise ML ops, ML meaning machine learning and ops meaning operations. So I was hired along with another person recently to work with our manager on the documentation um, I'm on my, I'm on day five and it's a large, but exciting task. So wow. very, yeah. Congratulations for that. And, Thank uh, you. and, and how did you end up in this field? Like way when you started? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I went to college for corporate communications, although that was kind of happenstance. Um, if I'm going to be very embarrassingly transparent um, and let everybody laugh at me, I will admit that I chose my major when I was 17 years old because it sounded impressive. Um, I honestly had no idea what corporate communications meant at the time, um, but I ended up loving it, especially the instructional design part. Um, so when I graduated in the um, early in the early 90s, I was fortunate to land at a tiny company where I designed and developed computer-based training programs. Um, I also wrote technical guides and I did some stand-up training. And while the economy was really good back then, I moved around a bit and I worked in a variety of related positions, developing computer-based training, but I was always writing some type of content. And a bit later, I worked as a prod product and project manager for a company that made multimedia instructional tutorials. Um, then in 2000, I reached a point in my life where I needed more flexibility and a shorter commute for personal reasons. So I took a look at my overall career and I realized that technical writing was a really good fit for a lot of reasons. So I landed an interview, but they gave me a fill in the blank technical test. Um, and I was mortified because I could not answer most of the questions. I think I actually only answered one or two maybe three of the questions. Um, but fortunately, I must have done something right in the interview because I got the job and I never looked back. Um, and here I am today. That's an incredible story. And also, I, I, when you mentioned it, like you just made this move from product management to 
technical writing. This is super rare, first of all. And uh, I, I, and also, by the way, I've had this discussion with previous guests about what is the path for technical writers moving forward. And this has come up that technical writers are great product managers or project managers. So they should always look at this as a potential path moving forward. So I guess my question to you is, of course, there were personal reasons for sure. Do you feel that uh, you took a step back or a step forward? How do you feel about that? Um, You know, looking back, I mean, you know, I feel like I, there are times where I go, oh, I, I held myself back just generally from a career point. I, I think that's part of being a woman and having children. Um, you know, certainly I feel like there's things that I could have done differently in my career. I don't think it's because I went into technical writing. I think it's more of, quote, being mommy tracked, um, <laughs> you know, but um you know, that I almost moved back into product management several times in my career. Um, and for various reasons, either, you know, the part of the organization that I was going to move into wasn't really feeling stable or other things. I didn't make that move. Um, and it worked out well for me. I mean, I definitely have always had an interest in potentially moving back into product. A lot of people have told me I belong in product. Um but I don't think it's necessarily been an overall negative in the end for me. Um, you know, at least as far as the technical writing part of it, it's more of the being a woman and the whole thing that goes along with a lot of that. And it's just so more, more like added to the balance of life. Let's say that. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> in, in a way, it elevated your life you know, the balance elevates the life. That's the way to look at it. So. Exactly. That's a, that's a much more positive spin on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good, good, good. And, uh, you know, uh, I had my first child not long ago. And since then I have even more respect for women because, oh boy, this is task. <laughs> this is a lot of work. Tells you so. This is all the respect to all the women in the world for sure. Um, (laughs) All right. So, again, uh, we've spoken about this a bit when we met or spoken previously that you have had spent a lot of time in agile teams using Scrum. And so, for our listeners, what has your experience been and are there two or three things that you can point out that worked or did not work really well? Yeah. So um, agile is interesting when you're coming at it from, um, you know, the tech com view um, at my last organization. And that's going to be my point of reference since I've only been at my current role for five days. Um, you know, there were a lot of issues integrating information developers or technical writers um, into the agile practice. Um, from talking with others, I don't necessarily believe that these issues were unique to that organization. Um, first, I think we need to be upfront and honest here. Most organizations don't implement the agile or scrum frameworks very strictly according to the defined approach, right? So that's where we all start. Um, With that in mind, um, in the organization that I left, we were a shared service. So that meant that unlike the engineers who were dedicated to a single product and often to a particular piece of code for the product, uh, the writers were responsible for multiple products. So now imagine as a writer, I'm working on two products. One product has eight scrum teams and one has five, let's say. 
um, and the teams are situated around the world, right? So as a single writer, I just simply can't attend all of the Agile ceremonies, um, right. nor can I keep up with all of the work, right? Um, so also keep in mind that all of the meetings are focused on the engineers. So it's not even worth the writer spending all of the time in all of those meetings. Um, and most organizations won't hire as many writers as engineers. So we have right. a writer to engineer ratio challenge, right? So these right. are big, these are big issues. Um, so just a few quick ways that I worked around those issues were to schedule weekly or bi-weekly meetings with product owners. Um, and I learned about what was up and coming in regards to the documentation. Um, I also created processes to identify ways to notify our team of work through JIRAs. Um, then we could pick up the JIRAs and then gather the information and meet with the subject matter experts as needed. So those were just some of the ways we kept up with the work. Um, none of that was ideal, but it did help us manage things better. Um, another issue as working as an information developer in an agile environment um, is that no one wants to include documentation in the sprints, right? Um, so, right? So doc is not often considered part of the definition of done. Um, and for those who might not know what that means, definition of done is the acceptance criteria for the particular piece of the product being developed. So engineering teams are very focused on, they're very concerned that the documentation tasks will impact their velocity and they don't want that, you know, to bring their velocity down. So they don't want them included in their sprints. So if the doc isn't included in the sprints, then the doc team can be left scrambling just before the release. Um, so, you know, we worked to remedy that by trying to get certain types of documentation included in the definition of done. You know, ideally everything would be included, but for example, if we had to write embedded help, like icon or page help, we would include that in the definition of done because that could be done quickly. Um, whereas if we had to write content for a user guide, that might not be included. But what I would often do is like write the help and then immediately write the user guide content as soon as the help was written. So it was all fresh in my mind. Um, but of course, then reviews were challenging because no one allocated time and, right. you know, de development, they were all concerned about their story points. So you have to use a variety of tactics to handle this. And some teams are more cooperative than others. Wow. That was a very, very insightful few minutes that you shared. <clears throat> I think the one thing you, I just want to rephrase here so that sure. you're getting this right. So one is obviously the information development team or resources are shared across multiple product lines, that's a challenge. And mm -hmm. then of course, the ratio of uh, writers versus the engineers or the product itself is a challenge. Yep. And then the third thing you mentioned is, it's a very proactive approach to fix this. So you did the action to really reach out to product owners and you mm -hmm. took the onus of arranging meetings, establishing a JIRA process. So you yep. are notified and keep on top of that. And then also you took a proactive approach in kind of like giving in that definition of done as part of the uh, agile sprint, like here it is, this is when it's considered done. And these are, and but you are picking those items, which also comes with the 
challenge of review cycles. So wow, yeah. it, it, it's uh, it, I, I must say that was that, that was very very concise, but you unpacked so many things, which uh, which which I think our viewers can learn from. I think there were some really uh, quick nuggets there that mm-hmm. learning wise is like you have to almost understand that you'll always be serving multiple products and multiple engineers and you have to take ownership to almost drive the product owner and learn the Jira process. So great. Wow. That was very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. And uh, again, (laughs) now this is more of a personal question. So I did do my due diligence and saw a bunch of people have written recommendations for you for your LinkedIn profile. And there is one very common uh, theme that emerged. Everybody has said that, how do you get all the tasks completed? You get pretty much all the things, so many things that people are amazed. So what's the secret recipe? I'm I'm very curious that what our other tech com folks can learn from you because this is like, there's a, there are many comments uh, to put modestly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I, you know, it's one of those things I really wish I had a secret recipe so I could help others. Um, I tend to be highly focused and driven, which um, you can look at as a positive or a negative. Um, when I am working, the rest of the world literally falls away. Um, I think it's a mix of drive, reinforcement, and experience, which seems to have worked out, thankfully. Um, I don't procrastinate at all, ever. Um, I use my inbox as a to-do list. I literally respond, file, or delete items immediately. Um, I don't have a, much of a threshold for, I'll do this next week. I'm you know, really action-oriented, um, and um, I do things immediately. I don't really tend to wait too much for answers. I've had people who will say that, you know, I'll try or I sent an email or I'm waiting on a response. And to me, there's no such thing as trying or waiting. Um, I'm kind of, I'm known to be tenacious and that I got that word from a former coworker of mine. Um, and I have a can-do attitude. And I think that helps me get a lot of work done. So if no one will answer me, I will find another route to solve the problem. Um, so I do tend to work quickly. Um, which I guess is a good thing usually, but it can have its pitfalls. So on occasion, I have to remind myself to slow down. So um, I also have the ability to context switch very quickly. Um, And that's been helpful as well. I've thought about this so much and I've been asked it by, you know, my managers in the past, um, but I really, unfortunately, I haven't been able to come up with a secret recipe to date. Um, I think I just told you a little bit about myself, but I don't know that, you know, there's any secret sauce, but if that changes, I will be sure to let, you know, (laughs) you and everybody else know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you did mention about obviously how you're using your mailbox and almost that's, that's a, that's a productivity hack. And I mean, I quite honestly, I struggled with that. So even though I have heard this so many times, it's just like, for me, it's like, uh, that hasn't worked the way I would the way you explained, I had to do more of uh, more of a labeling thing, like on task in inbox, and then keep my labels running, and then I go into which are my priority labels that I hit first. So it's a little go a deeper because it's just like doesn't work for me if I go just one by one. So, okay. but anyway, so but that that's a good one, and like you said, like I mean, uh, uh, tools are important for productivity for sure, but it's also I guess you 
it's just a little bit more like how you are personality wise, right? Like you want to establish yeah. your day in a way. So I think that is the secret recipe, like being you. So, you know, that's kind of what it is. Great. Okay. Um, all right. So, I mean, we are going through an information explosion. There is so much content getting built. One would imagine that demand for information developers will like skyrocket and companies will see value in them more than that they do it. But uh, that unfortunately, that's that's not the case. And that is also actually how uh, you and I connected when I posted about the rants, how companies treat information developers. Mm -hmm. So so why is that the case? Like, what's the disconnect in your opinion? Like, I mean, there's like great demand. Everybody understand. I've seen the stats that even as a, uh, for, for the job market, this is a great profession, which is like growing great, but still this ill treatment. Why is that, why is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I mean, one, you know, I thought about this question a lot. Um, and I think one of the key things is that everyone writes. And I think, therefore, you know, people think that anyone can do this job. Um, and I think this is one of the biggest issues that I have seen. I think, um, you know, developers have to document their code, product owners have to write requirements, implementation folks have to. Um, you know, write their own doc content at times, QE writes test cases, you get the idea. Um, yeah. But because everyone has to write, people don't truly understand what it takes to create excellent user-focused content. And therefore, the job that we do just doesn't seem to be valued as much as others because it isn't viewed as a specialty by many. Um, you know, people will look at developers and think, well, only they can code, so they're special but anyone can write. So do we really need these people with a special job title? And I think there's a lack of understanding of all the roles that we play from project managers to subject matter experts, to business analysts, researchers, quality assurance, and so much more. So I think often we're mistakenly seen as proofreaders who make documents look pretty. Um, and this is really a great insult to our profession. But sadly, unless people start to understand what we do every day, this won't change. Um, and we really need folks who see content and documentation as part of the actual product. Um, I've heard people who say that they believe this, but their actions you know, speak differently. Um, I've had product managers who say, yes, you know, documentation is part of the product, but then they don't have time to discuss the product with us, um, or they don't want us to talk to the users because you know, you know, you might say the wrong thing to the user, um, and they don't want to spend time reviewing content. So clearly, they really don't see the value. They're just giving that lip service. But when people see the value, they will invest in talented content people and systems. So I think that's really the disconnect, and one of the biggest disconnects. I mean, I'm sure there's so many, but I think that's one of the biggest ones, in my opinion. It's a. It's very interesting that, of course, you know, very common fact in the marketing world as well. Like everybody who's not in marketing has ideas of marketing, and as a VP of marketing, I get to hear so many things. Right. Uh, but uh, I think the important fact is like everybody thinks they can write, but not everybody can think that what are the possible scenarios that a user might have, and they're not able to see it holistically itself. Like, wow, you know, like you just didn't write for yourself. You wrote for 
entire how someone will use in different scenarios, thinking everything through it and making sure it's understood. And it's like they are able to get the desired outcome by reading something and following it, right? So, and, uh, um, but I, I still feel like somewhere it's, more than educating the outside external stakeholders, it's like internal stakeholders. They, they, are, um, they are either not educated enough on this part mm-hmm. or they have a tendency to just not treat it in a way equal <laughs> to what they're doing. So uh, do you think like, uh, I guess the question here is how do you, get the internal stakeholders, educate themselves better or can someone else better educate them? Do you have any thoughts there? Have you seen some good examples that have worked in your life previously or it's been just like a complete hit or a miss? You know, I I think it really depends on who you're dealing with. Um, you know, in my last organization, you know, the, the amount of education um, and attempts to um, explain to you know, the executives, the, you know, the importance of documentation um, was tried year after year after year. Um, they claimed they, they believed in it, um, but, you know, they kept making us migrate to um, systems that were lower cost and lower cost. And, you know, what they didn't understand is each time they made us migrate to a new system, you know, that took tons of time for us to migrate all that content, right? Which is a huge cost. And it also took away our time and our ability to improve our content quality and write new great content. And then we kept, you know, they kept us on a lean staff and no one was really interested in what we did, but then they kept wanting to know why the documentation wasn't better. So no matter how much education, it just wasn't getting through. Now, fortunately, you know, and that led to, me eventually leaving the organization, right? So now, fortunately, I'm a domino where everyone is extraordinarily interested in the documentation. And, you know, when I had a conversation with their um, CTO when I was interviewing, you know, and mentioned that, you know, my current company at the time didn't believe that documentation was part of the product, his mouth literally dropped. And that's mm-hmm. when I knew, you know, I already felt like Domino was the place for me, but that's when I knew they were the place for me. Right. Because you know, that he, they understand the value of documentation. So I think some people just, you're never going to get it through to them. They're not going to care. They're going to pay the lip service. And some people just really, they understand it and they believe it. It's funny. It, it reminds me so much of my early day, early days in tech. So I started my career as a programmer and then mm-hmm. I moved into QA and that's almost was viewed a D grade by yep. by my peers because they Absolutely. thought, that, wow, you were like a developer and now you want to move into QA? Like, why? And right. it's crazy mindset because I was like, are you meaning, I was working for a big, big, I was working for Oracle and, and I was working for like big uh, financial services, banking and life insurance and, you know, uh, clients. And I would just tell them like, look, I just received a, uh, an email from MetLife and they just told me I just saved them so many dollars just because 
I yep. was able to catch these two bugs that you had. And this would be, what is the impact of you writing 200 lines versus to this? There is some value to it, right? Like, so, Absolutely. Uh, and I'm more on this side, like understanding user scenarios and the working backwards, like there might be more bugs, but I was able to uncover these two. And that's the skill of, of a better QA person or QA department itself. So, yeah. so I feel like it's just how we are, like ingrained in our software development life cycles in specific the software world like everything starts with the developer and the rest of it is just like lining up like even project manager product manager qa writers everybody's just like in that life cycle is just like seconds and thirds and fourths right so and and, and i've uh, think about this a lot like why is that the case considering that everything has so much importance right like every mm-hmm. individual has a it's a team. And one Absolutely. thing I have come to the realization is I think the one of the biggest problems that we are all, all companies are coming off is like because they were never able to put them as pods as like one team, they've always been like distributed teams, like engineering, product, mm-hmm. and technical writing. And that's kind of like the that's that's my experience. That's like the biggest culprit because we've never been able to put them as like Here's the part, here's the team. It includes, this is the product. This is the team, two writers, one engineer, or whatever that is. That combination never existed. Now I've started to see that. A lot yeah. of teams are coming with this, and I'm sure they will do better. But uh, Or they all report into engineering head, and then it's obviously one team somehow, at least blurred lines. Still a struggle because they're still not mentally there. But, uh, uh, but, but do you feel... Do you feel the same that that's kind of been the reason for all this? Um, I think it's part of it. And I think it's just a cultural thing, um, you know, like an orga- organizational cultural thing. You know, right. again, uh, you know, I'm seeing a huge, um, you know, dichotomy between, you know, where I came from and where I am now, you know, and from the culture, you know, and right. you can see, right, um, where I am now, it, you know, they just did a big release yesterday and it's just amazing to see the the congratulations and the you know the teamwork mm-hmm. and that you know it's everybody was a part of making this whole thing come together it was engineering and QE and you know documentation and you know field engineers everybody was part of this and i'm seeing this even on a daily basis field engineers are they're educating you know, everybody about the new features. Um, And, you know, I think it's a culture that comes from the top that says everybody in this organization is is important and part of the team and we're all together creating something great, right? Um, As opposed to coming from the top and saying, you know, the development team, these are our smartest, best, you know, most amazing people and everybody else is, you know, not as less than right so i to me that's a large part of it is that that top layer you know providing the culture understood so guess you did something right to find the company where you are at right now so the question is as a technical writer when they are looking for opportunities is there signals that they can pick either an interview or just by looking at the company that they might be 
an organization with a better culture for you know tech on writers to be part of that do you think yeah. that's a good yeah i mean you know whenever i research researched a company i mean i always you know i check i always check last door's reviews um you know i I always check to see if I know somebody in the company. Can I reach out on LinkedIn and talk with that person? You know, somebody kind of on the sly, you know, do I know somebody and can I, you know, just touch base with them and say, you know, what do you think about working there? That kind of thing and get a sense of the, the organization. Um, you know, I'll, I'll scout around the web as much as possible and see if I can get some information on the company. But then a lot of it is about how they approach their interview process in your gut, right? So, um, you know, I went through a lot of frogs um, and, you know, I found that the companies that, you know, were asking me to do, you know, projects that were unreasonable, you know, at my level, you know, they were asking me to do you right. know, these massive projects that really I, I should be paid for at, at this point, right? Those were companies that I said, nope, you know, and I wouldn't interview for it with. So I feel like you kind of, it's a gut sense and you you need to um, go with the companies, you know, Domino, they, they interviewed, they interviewed, it was not an, it wasn't an easy process, right? I interviewed heavily, but right. they were communicative. They were decisive. It was quick. Um, and they didn't leave me hanging at any point. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of it is just when, if you have a company that's kind of leading you on or asking you for, you know, insane requests, I feel like you can tell their culture is really, you can decide things from that you right. know, about their culture. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. And it's also a great advertisement for your 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 culture here that the things that yeah. you're doing. So if <laughs> yeah. you have any open positions, this is your chance to make a shout out to our audience. They can yeah. reach out to you. Uh, yeah, I mean we're growing like crazy. So I mean if anybody's interested, they should definitely check out our website. <laughs> that's great. All right. So let's talk about the future of technical writing. I'm very curious about this topic because mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, let's say it's, it's been quite a uh, you know the journey throughout when I even look at the past thirty years it's been like a it's not it's not like a straight line it's like a very much like a you know <laughs> like up and down up and down up and down and yes and pandemic everybody said like oh digital transformation is like that's the push pandemic gave it and now everybody's like this is a uh, information development is like great customer experience is like this is now a thing on fire basically dude so uh, so what do you think about the future of technical writing like uh, uh, what are your thoughts on how it's going to change or what are the things you anticipate might come up um, it's interesting that you said it's very up and down because I've noticed that I've seen things that were big, like in the nineties seem to be coming back and being proposed that they're new ideas, like context sensitive help and instructional videos. So it's funny that you said that, um, you know, I think tools will keep evolving. I don't believe anyone should focus their learning on tools. Um, you know, if you're good at what you do, um, you'll learn it. You know, everybody has learned all these different tools through the years, um, you know, for a while, the big thing was Dita. Now many are moving to markdown languages like ASCII doc and things like that. 
Um, you know, we're also seeing more folks using tools like Antora to generate documentation, which allows continuous updates. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, this coupled with Markdown and Git allows us to manage docs as code, which um, I've become a fan of, um, you know, myself. Um, so I think it depends a lot on the industry. Um, as much as I hate to say this, in some cases, I think we're going to be hard pressed to move away from user manuals. Um, mm. But I do think that we're going to see a continued or new focus on um, users rather than features. I think we're going to have to continue to move away from that. So documentation really has to help the, our users complete tasks um, and not teach them how to use features. So in that vein, um, UX writing continues to be more and more important to ensure that um, our user interfaces are clear and easy to use. Error messages must be easy to understand and help the user. Um, and generally the text on the page should be able to help the user move through their workflow. Um, if a user does need that help moving through their workflow, they should have access to tools like icon help and tooltips and other embedded help so they can get that help that they need when they need it and just continue working. Um, I think everybody's attention spans are much shorter as we know. Um, people want answers on demand. So gone are the days of reading that full manual, even though not everybody wants to get rid of them. Um, so I think we're gonna see organizations continuing to provide ways for users to find answers quickly. Um, for example, your users might want to search a web portal for topics based on their role, their software version, the language, uh, or doc type like API. Um, with the world having become so small, tech writers are going to have to continue focusing on localization and translation. Um, we'll continue with the push for API doc. Um, content's going to have to continue to be available from any device, you know, you, your users might be using a banking application, so they're going to have to be, you know, they might be on a computer or a mobile device, so they have to be able to access your content. Um, accessibility is important. We want to make sure everybody can access our content. And, you know, lastly, I think we're going to start hearing a lot more about Doc Ops, um, and that's modeled after DevOps, um, but it's for those of us in the tech comm world. So then, <laughs> rather than referring to software development, um, this is, as per Write the Docs, a set of practices to automate and integrate the process of developing documentation across engineering, product support, and technical writing teams. So DocOps covers documentation management from creation um, through the release of software and includes collaboration and continuous improvement to your documentation. So I think that's going to be a bigger thing that we're going to see up and coming. Wonderful. By the way, uh, I don't know how much aware you are of our tech, and this is we rebranded from our old product, Easy Data, in 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 uh, July of this year to Haredo. And one of the posts we have changed to our new product is to move and introduce the content ops approach to knowledge, product, and learning. And this is exactly the same philosophy, and this is how we are building our product roadmap thought in a way that it's not going to be, uh, you know, modeling how DevOps changed the software engineering. This is the same way we are taking content ops for knowledge, product, and learning content in a similar way. And we have the similar uh, things, version control, even we have for regulatory environments within doc 
documentation workflows like e-signatures and stuff. But this is all modeling into more ecosystem-based approach, the yes. blueprint. And uh, this is exactly what we are doing. It's interesting, my my ears, and it was like music to my ear when you said, said that. So I was like, wow, this is good. Uh, and we so, didn't even practice that. <laughs> Yeah, so 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 uh, I'm I'm really 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 uh, glad that you shared and you see it in this way because uh, this is uh, for us we have seen actually more receptiveness of since we have built into and started talking about this and uh, and also it gives us a better vision on the product like how we want to be just because we are not now thinking. Of course, you know we we still use data behind the scenes, right? So, but the 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 key here is we moved away from talking about the tech, but towards the user experience. So we are more about like you don't have to worry about data as much because we provide a nice user interface that looks like Google Doc. But the magic is if you start typing in that Google Doc behind the scenes, it creates for you automatically a data XML which will make sure your information architecture is tight. So you're not going back, which means uh, you don't have to worry about the rules. The rules are getting taken care of on the back end. Right. You worry about writing content. And then, of course, leverage the power of information architecture to create those omnipresent, omni-channel experiences. And that's the game. So uh, uh, that, that, that's just like, now I gave a shameless plug about our product, but <laughs> this is... But it fits. Uh, exactly the same philosophy that we follow. So, so, so I completely, uh, as a company, we completely see it the way you see it. And we are seeing, I can tell you, like we're seeing also the same response from outside world, uh, more from the tech com community. So that's good to hear. All right, cool. Awesome. Um, so, well, this has been great. And I do ask one very special question, very personal question to my guest. So would you like to tell the world one thing that no one in your professional circles know about? This is your chance to share anything. Doesn't have to be work-related. Could be anything that you would like to share. But yeah, one thing that no one knows about in your professional circles. I wouldn't say no one knows about this, but very few people know about it. Um, so I have a lot of interest in hobbies and I enjoy creating, um, you know, I've done oil painting, pastels, and I enjoy any types of arts and crafts. But right now, one of my greatest passions is actually building Lego. Um, so I enjoyed Lego as a child and someone mentioned that a friend of theirs um, enjoyed this hobby as an adult and I thought I should do that. So since then, I've gathered quite a collection and I find it really relaxing and can get lost for hours in the build. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm a fan too of Legos. Not as much spent. Not not haven't I haven't spent too much time. But I would say like we do have a big jar with all the Legos and trying to create stuff out of that. We started to do with our daughter now. Now she's trying to play it. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Well, cool. That's wonderful. So anybody who feels like you need a Lego partner or Lego virtual parties, uh, exactly. they're really that's they're me. Yes. So, all right, cool. So how can people connect with you after this if they have questions or reach out to you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, probably the best way to reach out to me is LinkedIn. Um, I'm, you know, available there and I'm, you know, usually pretty active on it. Um, you know, it, maybe not as active these days, but I do check it. So that would be the best right. way. And I'm there under my full name, Tara English Sweeney. All right, wonderful. So 
we will link the LinkedIn profile with the podcast. But anyone who's trying to reach out to Tara, LinkedIn is a place and you can find her name. And Tara, once again, thanks for your time and your insights. It has been wonderful speaking with you. Uh, it's a pleasure having you here. Thank you. It's been a wonderful being here. Thank you for having me as a guest. I appreciate it for that. Thanks for listening to Titans of Techcom, brought to you by Hereto. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Looking forward to next time with more real stories from real people just like you.